Xgrowth has helped B2B tech companies design campaigns that open doors in their strategic target accounts, roll out targeted ABM programs, scale ABM programs, and select the right tool and tech stack for a successful ABM initiative. These are all things Xgrowth has helped their clients with. If you're interested to learn how Xgrowth can help your firm's ABM program, check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about the yeses and nos to achieving those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth, and today I'm talking to Davinia Simon, Head of Sales and Growth Markets at Stacks.io about the fundamentals of building go-to-market plans. Davinia has an amazing background in the B2B space, and today we're going to dive into a framework called Narratives to develop GTM plans using some of the largest companies out there like AWS and Adobe. Now, there's not a lot of information out there on this model, so make sure you get your pen and papers ready and let's dive in. Davinia, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So, I mean, I'm really interested and excited to dive into this topic. Let's start with, let's start with go-to-market plans in general. How do you typically go about building a GTM plan? Thank you for that lovely intro, because there's a couple of decades of experience in there. So I've had experience in building GTM plans with varying levels of success, I might add, in that time for different products, services, businesses that are, that are launching in different areas. And so have actually <laughs> used different approaches each and every time. However, more recently, I feel like I've, I've finally found a formula that has been really successful. And, and when it comes to building that GTM plan, I think we would all agree there's always an intent and an aspiration to do it. I think the execution of it is often hindered. It's often at the very bottom of a long laundry list of things to do. Yet arguably, I don't know, in my bias view, I think it's probably the most important. Like it's the one thing on that list that you do want to slow down to think about to document, to circulate, to seek counsel on, get input on, and then share broadly. Because ultimately, it, it becomes this anchor point that helps you and your team gain alignment and clarity on what to do. What are you going to focus on? Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I found uh, one particular framework, and we're going to talk about the narratives today. I, I found that framework particularly useful in getting that clarity and that direction and sharing it broadly with not just my immediate team, but with extended teams, cross-functional teams as well. I love it. Yeah, and, and I, I agree. I mean, the execution is the hardest part. Actually, it's the most important part, but it is the hardest part as well, making it not as exciting. To uh, It's just where you got to roll up your sleeves and you're going to get very dirty, figuratively speaking. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, I totally get where you're coming from. 
So what what is a narrative? How does, you know, can you can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yes, absolutely. So um, I feel very privileged and I was very fortunate to spend time at Amazon. So within my career, I had a few years there learning the Amazonian way. And I think for anyone that's that's curious enough to read about Amazon, there are certain mechanisms and processes that are used within that organization consistently. And it's quite well documented. The, the switch that Amazon made um, in the early 2000s from using PowerPoint presentations to this framework called a narrative. And it, it, it's very well documented the reasons why. And actually, I, I think many of us would resonate with what often happens during a presentation when we are presented with you know several slides. And I think about today in a virtual format where we're, we're kind of a little bit removed from the presenter. There's a lot of information coming at us and we're often just passive passengers, right, in, in that transaction that, you know, we're being presented to. And sometimes that presentation can last 30 minutes to an hour and we often run out of time. I think we've all sat in presentations where you run out of time. You don't really have a rich discussion at the end of it. Decisions aren't really made and you have to revisit the topic and you've got to coordinate diaries again and you've lost a bit of momentum. And, and it's natural, right? We, we've all gone through that. It was very well acknowledged by Jeff Bezos in the early 2000s that actually productivity was suffering and decisions weren't being made and progress was being stalled on decisions because sometimes presentations weren't giving the richness of information required. And so they switched to narratives. And to give you a bit of context, a narrative, I mean, it, it, it's so heavily used with within Amazon and it's used as a framework, but it could serve lots of purposes, right? Today, we'll talk about it in the context of a GTM plan, but by way of background, within Amazon, it could be used to develop an operating uh, business plan. It could be used to describe a new product and you know how that new product is going to be launched. It, it could be used for a monthly business review. It could be used because somebody has an idea about a new business model that they'd like to explore, and maybe they're looking for a little bit of resource to get it going. Like It, it has broad application. And this narrative, and some of this information is available online, you'll, you'll see there's a pretty um, defined structure that you would follow. But the important thing about a narrative is that it's data-driven. Now, for the reader, that's great. You know, you're actually interpreting a story. It should be pretty well written, so you should be able to follow the story. But it should be informative, and it should be data-driven. It shouldn't be emotive. It, it, it's not based on opinion. It should be based on data and fact. Um, and it allows you a, a certain level of information that gives you a deep connection to what's happening in the business or what the plan might be. Conversely, for the author of the doc, and I think, Shane, this is the most important thing, if you're authoring that document, the sheer process of documenting, and these, these narratives are six pages, you, you are documenting a lot of background, context, history, observations, you're documenting initiatives you are forced to, you're absolutely forced to have real clarity of thought. So you're forced to think things through very, very clearly. You are forced to ensure that the data that you're interpreting has real analysis. You are starting to think about how does that data inform the approach? And just documenting something, you mentioned it before, it's hard. Like it is so hard to do that. Um, and I think editors and writers and journalists, they would tell you the same thing. Like that is their career. And they would say it is hard. And so for somebody like us that, you know, that's not a writer, 
that process, man, it's difficult and it should be difficult. And it's also something that you shouldn't be doing independently. You should be seeking input from others within the organization. It should be a team effort. People should be on that journey with you so that when you're at the end of that narrative, you've got something that a team of people have really assisted with, inputted in, they help own elements of that document, they have a shared vision, and they have direct alignment. And then you have this, this beautiful document that serves as like a cache. You know, it's, it's there even in the archives. It, it's, it's something that you share with new hires when they come into the organization. It's something that you share with cross-functional teams so they know what you're working on. It's something that in my GTM space, I'm sharing with the marketing business. I'm saying, right, this is what we're focusing on. Let's look at the campaigns that support these initiatives. So it drives a really thorough interlock. And I got to tell you, Shane, I, I think I also save a lot of time. I think it's more efficient than me churning out the 20 page slide deck several times a month to bring everybody up to speed with how I'm going to market. It's so much easier and more efficient and richer to send a detailed document and say, take the time to read this and you will understand it in the same way that I do. And that, that is quality, really quality. I love that. I mean, sounds like there's a lot of buy-in there is, and and you just said it, PowerPoint, you got to keep you got to take everyone through it constantly, right? Because you can't send the PowerPoint to somebody and say, hey, have a look at this and you'll get what it is. That's not going to happen. Where the narrative, so so narrative is a, is a document that, and correct me if I'm wrong, you would create, it's up to six pages before a meeting so that it, it what what happens afterwards? There are a couple of ways you can you can use this document. Now within the Amazonian world, it's not unusual to do a document read. That's that's part of the process. You would have your finalized document. It probably would have gone through several rounds of iteration. Uh, these things don't happen in a couple of days. You know, I might add, they can take weeks, sometimes months of work. People aren't necessarily focused on them full time. They've got jobs as well they're doing in the background. But these are, you know, quite quite heavy lifts, I would say, in some cases. So they do deserve a bit of attention. Now, typically what would happen is they would come into a forum and that forum may have uh, a group of stakeholders in it. In, in some cases, I've seen document reads of you know tens and tens of people. I've seen document reads of a handful of people. And historically, in the pre-COVID days, you know, these would be written documents that would be printed out and you would read the physical documents. You'd mark up any questions that you had and everyone would silently read for the first 20 minutes of that session. And only at the point where everybody has thoroughly read the document do we initiate the conversation. And you might go through and there might be some certain discussion topics that the group want to go deeper on. It could be that you want to do a page turn and everybody's got a few contributions for each page. They're pretty fluid, those discussions. But let me tell you, the richness of them surpasses anything I've seen at the end of a PowerPoint presentation. So post-COVID world, all of that's done virtually. I would say more efficiently using um, online tools. So the richness of discussion is still very, very rich because when you're on the receiving end of a presentation, as I mentioned, you're, you're a bit of a passive passenger. You're a little bit biased based on how effective the presenter is. You know, if the presenter's good, you probably think it's a great presentation. If the presenter's not as good, you probably not as wowed by the material. Like it's so um, subjective, right? The, the how many jokes? Presentation. How, fu- how funny is the presenter? Yeah, absolutely. 
That's right. And then I just think, think about how many great ideas were lost because maybe the presenter just didn't present really well. I think that's really unfortunate for the idea. It's just the, the, the mechanism of presenting probably wasn't the right one. Whereas I think about the document, when you're on the receiving end of the document, you are, you are really forced to sit down and engage with that material. You can't escape it, you know, because you want to be part of the robust discussion that follows. And so you are really forced to sit there and interpret it and understand it and, you know, respectfully challenge it. I think it, it changes the role of what happens to the audience in that situation. The audience become actively involved. And how powerful is that? When I think about it in the context of a GTM, and that's part of my responsibility, I, I need input. And I'm looking for, I'm looking for challenging conversations. I'm looking for someone to pick my thinking apart. I'm looking for somebody to say, hey, what about, what about the way that the data says X, Y, and Z? Have you considered maybe we change the initiative? Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure you're onto the right track. Like that, that is richness. And for the author of the document, you walk away and you think, wow, that was value. Like that was a great session. Whereas I can think back to so many presentations of PowerPoint that we've all been in. And the thing about all those times you walk away from it and you think, oh, I just don't know how that went. I didn't get any feedback. There was no discussion. It wasn't interactive. Everyone was deadpan. Oh, did they like it? What do I do from here? Oh, I'll send the follow-up email. I'll get everyone back for another meeting. I just, wow. Like I, I can't tell you the way it encourages true excellence in in discussion when you have a documented approach that everybody can look at consistently and 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 get aligned on i just think that is chef's kiss very very good chef's kiss absolutely i love that um <laughs> and and i imagine you know writing this out and, and you know the next question i want to ask is is how does this work in the from a go to market plans perspective but <clears throat> regarding the part where you're documenting things i think this is quite fascinating because there's also a lot of literature around journaling like people this is more of a self-development component where um the argument is hey let's make sure that we you, you you do journals regularly and you write things down but what that really does is it allows you to to synthesize and, and analyze what you were thinking on a piece of paper in a lot more of an analytic way than you would if it's all, all up in your head. And, <clears throat> and I think this does that to the business perspective where you have to document and you write that narrative for, uh, for whatever it is that you're doing. Dominia, tell us a little bit about how you use this to create go-to-market plans. I mean, that's the practical piece, right? Where I think you know, regardless of the size of business you work for, whether you're in a large global entity and maybe you've inherited a product or service that you've got to launch, you probably didn't inherit a go-to-market plan, is my guess. You, you probably got a, a sense or a bit of a template to follow, but your local area probably has some nuances that you need to address. So you, you probably are thinking, oh, right, how does this work for me? Uh, similarly, if you're in a small startup, <laughs> you probably need to think about, who are our customers? Like, how is this relevant? How are we going to take this product, this service, uh, this business to, to market? What are the initiatives we're going to double down on? How do we know if we're being successful? Like, all of that probably sits in your mind today. Like, it probably sits in your head. 
But then, as you said, that process of documenting will, will provide this extra clarity, this extra spark of thinking. And so there's a pretty simple structure that I would recommend following. And I think for for the document to be effective, it's got to stand alone. What I mean by that is that I like to give my document to someone in my family, someone in my family that has no idea what I do, because they should be able to read it and they should be able to understand it. Like it shouldn't be a wall of text that is just too cumbersome to work through. It, it should stand alone. It should be written well so that somebody unrelated to your business could understand it. So the structure I follow goes, well, what's the purpose of the document? And the purpose of the document is probably a couple of lines. You know, very simply for me, my the purpose of my document would be, you know, it's a GTM plan. I'll talk about, you know, who it's relevant for, what I'm what I'm talking about, what are the timelines that I'm focused on. It's a couple of lines, like the purpose is very simple. Then I'll paint a picture. So the next step is I go through context and market. Now this context setting this is how it stands alone because somebody unrelated to your business needs to understand the context of the market in which you're operating. So what's the market that you're operating in? What are the market conditions that are playing a role in why you've got relevance? What are the signals that you've heard in the market that have driven you to make certain decisions on the product or the service or the approach? I think you want to just give um, a level of confidence that the market um, is right for you now. And then I go into a piece, and that context, by the way, could be a couple of paragraphs. It, it could be one. It doesn't need to be exhaustive. You're just painting a picture. Where you start to get a little bit more meat on the bones is the next part, which for me is reflective. So I talk about the state of the business. Again, this is highly enriched by data, but I'll reflect on maybe the prior 12 to 24 months and I'll think about what happened. Like, what, where are we at? What's the current state of our business? And, and this looks at how many people have we got? What kind of roles are they in? Who are our customers today? I'd look back and I'd think, well, what are some of the wins that we had? What were some of the big milestones that we achieved? What were some of the learnings? Um, where I can, it's not just about the, the numbers. I think it's really lovely to paint a picture using stories and anecdotes where you can. And there's nothing more powerful than talking about a customer story or a customer anecdote that people can really appreciate and enjoy and put themselves into the mindset of how you drew, rele drew relevance for them. So I think that that state of the business is very much painting a picture about what has been. It sets the scene for the next part of the document. And the next part of the document is what's coming next. So based on all of that, what are you going to do? And how are you going to do it? This is without doubt the most important part of the GTM plan. Um, and for me, the, the what are you going to do and how do you do it can be very succinctly broken down into initiatives. So I would say for any yearly initiatives, I, I probably work on three to five. For me, three to five is enough. In fact, if I get through all five, it's been a great year. So I think three to five initiatives, and they're pretty chunky initiatives, but with the initiative number one, I'll probably do a little bit of reflective looking and I'll pick an observation. And one of my observations might be about, maybe it's something to do with the current customer cohort that we've got. And maybe there's something in the data that tells me out of the current customer cohort that we've got, there's a signal there that we need to double down on a particular group within that. Maybe there's a particular focus segment I want to double click on. So I'll pull all of that context in and then my initiative will talk about how am I going to double click on that? So which geo am I in? What's the customer group that I'm going after? What's some examples of customers within that group? How do I define them? 
What are the signals that tell me that that's the right group to go after? When I go after them, what's the campaign that I'm going after them with? What's the amount of those campaigns that I need to drive? How much is the investment that I'm going to require to get it done? What's the supporting collateral we might need? How am I going to focus my resources on it? How am I going to know if I'm successful? So I'll probably put some goals and some metrics for success in there as well. And that initiative could be a paragraph or two. And I'll replicate that for each of the key initiatives I'll focus on. And like I said, three to five for me is is the right number. And interestingly, they also become something I'll cadence on because I need to be held accountable. I'm putting some lofty goals in this go-to-market plan and I need a group of people around me that will hold me to account. And so they also become something that I'll pulse on a monthly and quarterly basis. So I know if I'm on track or if I'm not, and it allows me to make really quick decisions if I need to pivot. If something's not working, that's okay. That's absolutely fine. You can pivot and you can pivot quickly. But you wouldn't be able to know if something wasn't trending unless you'd laid out exactly what the goals would be. I look finally in that document very very succinctly as a summary where you'll summarize exactly what you've talked about, what are the key focus priorities for you. Um, and then for me, I like some aspirational statements in there as well. So beyond those initiatives, what are the things that our team want to be known for? Now, that's actually six pages, you know, like you'll be surprised how quickly you get there with the six pages. But I, I would also suggest not to be daunted by that. You know, if six pages feels like a mountain too hard to climb. It's okay. Maybe it's two pages for your first go. Maybe it's three or four. That's fine. I think that the critical thing is that you're going through the process of thinking it through and documenting it, seeking input, gaining alignment, and essentially going back to it just to check and measure your own progress. So the framework of the narrative, again, it's a very biased for you because I've seen it be very, very successful, but framework of the narrative, man, that, that for me is, um, is the bedrock for successful GTM. I can imagine. I can imagine. So Davinia, I mean, that sounds like an amazing structure. There's a lot of information that goes into it where most of the time this kind of information doesn't even come up in a meeting or a go-to-market plan or whatever it is. And six pages is a lot of pages. I mean, it sounds a little bit intimidating when you say six pages uh, at, at the beginning. What's, what I would really love to dive in a little bit more is that section that, that talks about what's next. What, what does that look like? And what are some of the, I mean, you touched on some of the components. You said there are three to five initiatives that go into that and you, you want to keep it to maximum of, 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 um, of five. What are some of the building blocks that goes into that piece since it's one of the most important pieces? So I, I'm kind of break each initiative down and they are, they are small chunks of observations that inform the approach that provide the goals or the outputs or the expected outcomes. So uh, let me give you an example. I guess if you were, um, let's say you manufacture skateboards, I don't know, well, whatever the line of business is you're in, let's say the, the business was a skateboard manufacturer, maybe they had a market share of, I don't know, 20%, but they recognized it in, uh, you know, a, a group of, of females um, of a certain age group, maybe it was just 10%, right? So there was obviously an opportunity to dive into that piece of data. Or maybe within the observation, there's a piece of research that says, actually, when you look at skateboarding demographic, I don't know, maybe it's 
maybe it's more than 10%. Maybe the skateboarding demographic of, of females is maybe it's 35, 40. I, I don't know. I'm making it up. But let's just, let's just say there was data to suggest that you're missing an opportunity. Now, that observation backed up with data, and maybe you would even reference the report that you saw that piece of information in, that sets up an initiative. Because all of a sudden, you, you're going to drive an initiative then to attract and acquire more females that are interested in skateboarding of a certain age range to drive up the market share in that category. Now, maybe the initiative, maybe it's focused on health and fitness. Maybe it's using campaigns, you know, using influencers. Maybe there's particular influencer details that, you know, resonate with that category of customer. There's probably some investment that will be required. So you talk about, okay, well, how much is this campaign going to cost? What does it drive in the way of revenue uplift? And what's the outcome in terms of market share? And I would probably then just break it up into a few key goals. What are the number of you know, the, the number of things you're going to focus on with that campaign? By quarter, what are the goals that you expect to see? And what are the step-by-step plans that are required to achieve them? Now, what is quite a small focus area, as you can imagine, when you rip off the covers and you really dive deep into it, as an initiative, it's probably quite packed. It's probably got a very integrated marketing campaign to support that. And it probably warrants a significant investment and it probably will yield a, a huge increase in revenue. But to step that out and to document it in a narrative style, that gives everybody real clarity about what you're going after and really importantly, why? Why is it relevant? What's it going to deliver? I love that. I love that. Okay. I want to hear about some of the mistakes that one could potentially make when putting narrative together. So if I'm a newbie to this narrative world, right, and I'm trying to make this make this work and I'm putting a narrative together for our GTM plan for our company, what what are some of the mistakes that I got to be mindful of when I'm documenting and putting this document together? So I think the thing to be mindful of is it is hard. <laughs> If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. It is hard. And um, you, you kind of got to grit, grit your way through it. It's deliberately hard. I think it, it's good to remind yourself that it should be difficult. If it's difficult and you're finding it hard, it probably means it's working, I, I would say. So the, the, the mistakes I often see are, are people trying it because recognizing it could be a good idea and probably worth giving it a go, but giving up because <laughs> it's hard. And I think the important thing is try not to tread that road alone. So what has worked for, for myself and others, take someone on the journey with you. Because if there's two of you collaborating on this document, you'll be surprised how quickly ideas will grow. And quite frequently, we'll open up a, a shared collaboration space. And phase one is we just drop ideas in. Like it's it is a schmozzle of text. Let me tell you, these things look really, really messy for the first few days that you're on it. You're just dumping information, you're dropping research in there, you're copying and pasting links of things that you've read that you want to revisit. There's data, there's probably tables from spreadsheets that you've pulled up. There's probably some analysis that your finance team might have given you. You're, you're, you know, you're just throwing all sorts of stuff at the wall and it takes a bit of sorting. It takes a bit of organizing. But you know what? Just having it in front of you and having a peer, someone that you're working with, collaborating on the document with you, not necessarily during a call. You're probably just doing it 
in your own time, you know, but if I see that my colleagues gone in there and made some updates, well, I'm probably going to go and have a look what they've done. <laughs> I want to see what progress have they made. That's really interesting. And I probably want to contribute some thinking to that particular idea. And we're not there to critique one another's writing style, not at all. It's not about pointing the finger at someone's spelling mistakes or grammatical errors. It is not about that. It is purely about working through the motion. You're just working through the detail, the thinking, the ideas, and goodness will happen. But it, it, it probably is an idea to go on the journey with somebody else, at least one, if not two other people to begin with, until you're at a point where you've got a draft, and then you might want to introduce a few more individuals into the mix to seek input and counsel. And it will feel messy, it'll feel clumsy, it'll feel challenging. That means it's going well. So stick with it would be my recommendation. I love it. I love it. And and the last question I want to ask you before we, we dive into some rapid fire questions is, is there a way that smaller companies should approach this differently than some of the larger ones that we've named earlier? Or do you reckon the framework that we've talked about really applies, whether you're small, medium or large organization, it applies across the board? I feel like it, it's got broader application across the board. Even in a small business, the, the challenge often is that so much of this is sitting in someone's head. And I'm certainly finding in a virtual setting in you know remote working, we're probably not having the conversations in an office that we once were. Those, those water cooler conversations, they're they're often not happening. You know, we're reliant and dependent on snippets on Zoom calls or otherwise where we can have quick conversations. And so much of what is in someone's head, it's not it's not broadly shared. And in a small business, that can really hinder growth. And so my recommendation is for anyone that's in a smaller business, even thinking about documenting a plan, brilliant. And you know what? It doesn't have to be six pages, even if it's a two-page approach. The, the the motion of thinking it through and documenting it and having it archived somewhere that others can access, regardless of your size, I just think that is so powerful. And um, it gives you real clarity of thought around what are you focused on? And it's not unusual for me to catch myself in a given week and ask myself, <laughs> am I doing the right activity here? Because this wasn't what was in the plan, you know, and it holds me accountable to go back and look at what I should be focused on. And I kind of like that. I like the fact that I'm, yeah, I'm held, I'm pretty much held to the document that I've written. And it's a nice way to check in with yourself around how you're focusing your time. I love it. Have you read the state of ABM and APAC report yet? If you have, you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year. Even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment. It's an exciting time for ABM in the region. Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. Okay, let's dive in. I want to ask you a couple of uh, rapid fire questions as well before we wrap up. Are you, uh, you happy to dive into that? Sure. Okay. I want to know, the first thing I want to ask you is what is, what is one resource? This could be a book that you've read, a podcast that you've listened, a TikTok video that you've looked at that has fundamentally changed the way you, you work or you live, had a, had a pretty big impact. So there's, there's a book I do go back to 
from time to time because it's a classic. It's an oldie but a goodie. Anything by Jim Collins is pretty amazing, but um, good to great. It's a classic. Man, it's great. It's great for any anyone interested in developing a, a high growth, successful business. I, yeah, there's a lot of nuggets of of greatness in that. Yeah, and I know a lot of a lot of Amazon's structure is built around that, or, or there's definitely some inspirations of it. He recently, I think, just published a new book, so I'm I'm also really keen to check out what he's talking about uh, these days. But that's a that's an awesome recommendation. Good. It's worth going back to the old ones. The the classics are the best. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's true. Sometimes. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. I will not comment. <laughs> Question number two is, if you could give only one advice to B2B professionals, whether they're marketers, salespeople, what would that be? Keep a beginner's mindset. I think it's, I think it's quite natural for us to become, you know, experts in, in a particular area over time. You know, you become pretty proficient at the job you're doing. And I think that's the same for sales and marketing professionals that have been doing it for a while. But what will hold us all in good stead is keeping that beginner's mindset because that allows you to be really curious and it's that curiosity that allows you to be quite inventive. And I think that is what will separate the good from the great in the future. Good from the great. I love it. Question number three, who are some of the influencers that you follow in this space? Yeah, so I mean, obviously the growth colony. <laughs> there <laughs> Thank are, you very um, much. <laughs> love a podcast so um probably prefer a, a podcast as um as, as a way of following trends and and what's happening i, I particularly like outside of the growth colony that building resilience is a nice podcast connecting high performing athletes with success in business and there's a lot of correlation there so i find that quite an interesting listen um and moonshot i think there's some really nice discussions around thinkers leaders superstars you know athletes and moonshot the hosts there do a good job i think of dissecting some of the thinking of those individuals and developing some nice content there that's awesome i i I haven't i haven't come across building resilience so that's uh that's going to go on my list last one is what's what's something that excites you about b2b today wow you know it's it's funny i'm excited because it is so far removed from what it was 10 years ago or even 20 years ago it is it is a different landscape and i'm excited by it because it is complicated like it is so it is so complex now and i think it's exciting because it has up leveled the expectation of sales and marketing professionals and man i think what used to be considered you know a career that probably wasn't highly ranked you know a couple of decades ago i think these days I think we would all agree requires a real level of strategic thinking to be successful. Man, it is complex, but how exciting and how exciting that things are evolving so rapidly that we don't even know what's coming next. We don't know which channel we've even got to be prepared for in 2024. I think that's really, really cool. So as long as we keep that beginner's mindset and we're always curious um, and we're always learning and we're always looking at improving, Man, I think it's a really exciting time. Keep a beginner's mindset. That's the message of, of this uh, this episode. But Davinia, this has been an amazing chat. I, I mean, I, I love how you dissected narratives. I think I think we're gonna we're definitely going to be testing it here at our own side as well and our agency. I think that is a really fascinating approach. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking about it and and just dropping all those golden nuggets. 
<laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make this show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just interested in a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.